What's going on, coaches? Hopefully everyone's doing well, having a good week. Uh, here in Oklahoma, we start football here in about two weeks, so uh, gearing up for the season. Hopefully uh, you guys are, are in a good situation as well, wherever you're coaching at. Um, if you need anything from us, go check us out at runthepower.com. We've got our videos up there, our podcast episodes, coaching summits from coaches all across the country. Uh, we've also got all of our merchandise and gear up on our website. Also, we've been putting out quite a few videos over on YouTube, uh, video podcasts. You can find those youtube.com slash run the power. Uh, and on our website, we've also got RTP um, all access, which you guys can access all of our uh, different videos that we put up, uh, talking ball and all the different series, seven different series that we have over at runthepower.com. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder provides strength and conditioning software to high schools around the country. Whether you write your own programs, have a full-time strength coach, or need training programs, Team Builder can make your program better. Right now, Team Builder is offering a 10-week off-season football training program with a two-a-day speed and agility program. This template even comes with videos from some of the top SEC strength coaches that will show you how to run your weight room. Visit their website and enter the code RTP to get the off-season football training template and start your 14-day completely free trial at teambuilder.com. Again, enter code RTP at teambuilder.com, which is team, B-U-I-L-D-R.com. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by our guys over at Just Play. The team at Just Play hooked us up with their product, as you guys know, uh, and it's been a game changer for us, if you've seen us on Twitter or uh, have talked to us about this at all. We obviously especially love the playbook tools that allow us to create our favorite blocking schemes, as you guys know, power, counter, inside zone, pin and pull, uh, and formations, so we can save time and be more productive. That's the biggest part. Saves time on defenses, saves time on, on inputting offensive uh, formations, and then easy to draw the play out. Just Play is a limited time offer for RTP listeners only. Get my Just Play Pro for $120, which is an unbelievable $60 off the normal list price. Uh, this offer has been extended uh, and won't last forever. You can get this deal at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. The best playbook tool on the market at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. Don't wait. Go do it today. On this episode of RTP, we talk with Chad Raymond. Coach Raymond was the offensive line coach at Florida Tech University uh, before they just recently dropped their football program. Uh, right now, he's a free agent offensive line coach looking for a new spot. Listen as we talk with Coach Raymond about growing up in Texas, coaching some smart offensive linemen in the state of Florida in one of the toughest D2 leagues in the country. You can follow Coach Raymond on Twitter at CoachRaymond321. Hope you guys enjoy. You know, um, gosh, it's a, it's a, it's a great, it's not really a crazy story, I guess, but I went out of high school uh, to Cisco Junior College. You know, it was either that or the Marines. Um, I was actually going to join the Marines until Cisco called me up and offered me a full scholarship. So went up there, played for Chuck Lawrence my freshman year um, as a tight end and uh, you know, had a good experience up there. We won six games and had fun. And then uh, in the spring, Chuck left with the Navarro, and we ended up getting um, Jeff Shaw as a head coach. And not that it was his fault, but we were just 
just terrible. And we didn't win one game. And, uh, you know, that was just a nightmare. The whole season was a nightmare. Um, I was the only tight end on the roster in the spring and in the fall. Um, I was pretty much the only guy that got reps. So it was just, it was just a nightmare. But good story, a uh, good ending to the story was I got a scholarship to go to Tarleton State over in Stephenville, Texas, which was um, – it's like going from – like where I'm from, Austin, Texas, to Las Vegas, Nevada. Going from Cisco to Stephenville was like, oh, my God, big city, big lights, you know. So, <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, and back at the time, back in those days, those days, late 90s, Stephenville was well known for its high school football, obviously. Uh, Bryles was the head man back then. So, um, you know, it was, it was a great experience. I love Tarleton. I still do. I still do. I love Tarleton. I played for Craig Witterquist uh, my junior year, and then Todd Witten my my senior year, who is currently the the head coach there now, transitioning to D one. So, um, but then once I left, you know, man, I, I kind of went on a, uh, a strange path and got into some trouble, and you know, had some maturity issues. And uh, my older brother Todd, who is uh, six years older than me, was a, a high school coach in the area in Central Texas. Liberty Hill, then our alma mater at McCallum, and then um, and then uh, ended up in Round Rock, Stony Point, and whatnot. He he kind of got me into that business, and uh, you know I loved it. I fell in love with it. So I coached high school football for a year or so. Went back to Charleston, got my degree, finished, graduated, and then uh, I decided myself I just did not want to coach high school ball. No offense, but uh, I just wanted to be a college guy. So I applied to every single. Uh, school in the state of Texas, both D2, D1, D1 AA, uh, for a GA job, and um, finally got my, my break at uh, Midwestern State for Bill Maskell. You know, I'm, I owe everything to Coach Maskell, uh, who's still the head coach at, at Midwestern State. and um, The dude taught me how to be so anal to everything. I mean, you want to talk about attention to detail on a microscopic level, that is Bill Maskell, you know, and uh, some people may say he is a misery to work for, you know, but he taught me everything and I owe him everything, you know. And so um, I worked for Glenn Thomas, who was the OC at the point, who is who recently was the OC at Baylor. Um, uh, and uh, and Brian Natkin was the O-line coach, who he and I are pretty much good friends and who is now the assistant O-line coach for the Cardinals. Uh, then I got the, a great opportunity to, to go over to UTEP as a GA uh, for, uh, for Mike Price, who uh, I think of as a, as a granddad, a granddad and, and um, who taught me everything as far as player personnel and, and being just being good, good people and, and being a good person with your, with your players and, uh, finding a good relationship with those kids. And um, the bottom line, I owe, I owe everything to what I know to Bob Connolly. And uh, he was the online coach at the time at UTEP. But I played for him, actually, my freshman year at, at, uh, at Cisco. And uh, as far as when it comes to every terminology, every ins and outs of, of what I do, my meticulous nature of how I approach my, my craft, um, I, I owe that to, to Bob Connolly and, and uh, 
you know, he, he, he's the man and I appreciate everything he did for me. And right now he is, uh, he's at Northern Arizona. He's been at USC, Alabama, Oklahoma State, you name it. He's been everywhere. So, um, well, in 2012, I was at UTEP and um, we got let go. And I ended up just interviewing at the convention uh, with, with Steve Englehart, who's the head coach here at Florida Tech, and Jason Martin, who's the OC here at Florida Tech, back in 20, late 2012, early thir uh, 2013, and uh, ended up getting the job. So the rest is history, man. I've been here ever since. Coach, uh, when, did you, when did you say that you got to UTEP? I got there in 2008. I was a GA in the fall of 8, 9, and 10. Oh, I skipped, I skipped a whole freaking year, man. I'm sorry. I was there eight, <laughs> nine, and 10. And then I get my first full-time job at New Mexico Highlands of all places um, with Eric Young uh, up there and uh, ended up going to Tarleton for a semester and then ended up back at uh, UTEP in 2012. I got you. I got you. So uh, I actually, I, I think you skipped right when I was, was there. We actually went to UTEP my freshman year. I played at Houston um, and and we got to go to UTEP, and it was a – and we've actually talked about um, – because Coach Walls' is a really good friend was the uh, strength coach. Was it strength coach Walls at yeah, UTEP? Yeah, Jordan Johnson was at UTEP. Yeah, was at yeah, UTEP yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. that's right, that's right. And so we've had a, we've had a few crazy UTEP stories. Um, and then my dad actually was a, uh, was a GA at Tulsa for a while, and, and uh, you know, they had gone to UTEP as well. But, um, it, I mean – not to, you know, I guess bring up and talk too much about UTEP, but it was um, what a really cool stadium, you know, kind of was the first thing I noticed. And then it was, it was the first time I had ever been close to, to a different country. What a weird, what a weird deal for me when we were driving down. I don't even know what road it is, but it's like there's this road and then on the left there's Mexico and it's just all dirt and no lights. And then over here on the right is the stadium and it looks like the U.S. It was it was a, a crazy, crazy deal for me. I wish that everyone could go and, and see just how big of a stark, and maybe it's not as much anymore. I guess it's been, you know, five, six years now. But what a stark, just huge difference uh, just by, you know, one highway separating a road, whatever it was, separating the two countries. It was um, a pretty crazy deal, pretty crazy to see, really. Yeah, no, that's not a road, boss. That's the Interstate 10. Okay, I got you. <laughs> I did. We were just on a bus. I don't know. I didn't know what it was. We just, yeah, yeah, I'm kind yeah, of no, no. Um, So I ten, I ten, I ten, um, which you know goes all the way from Jacksonville to freaking what San Diego. You know, mm -hmm. so uh, no, that that I ten is the interstate that passes by. So if you're heading west, which is towards, which is what you were saying. So on the left was Mexico, which you know. Um, unless you're a big fan like myself of, uh, of narcos, you know, um, you know, it, you, you can pretty much get a, a bad, uh, idea of how Juarez was. And, and that's reality it is what it is. But, um, as you're driving through I-10 through El Paso on your, on the South side of, of I-10 is pretty much like a third world country. Like yes. you were saying, like, like no running water, like uh, the there were like huts and tents, and it's it's like dirt and sand as as floors, and and then you look to your right, which is on the north side, obviously of I ten, and and that's the beautiful campus of of 
you know, of UTEP and, and, and the beautiful city of El Paso, you know, and so, um, you know, it, it's unfortunate. I got there in 2008, which was right after, or pretty much, yeah, pretty much right as everything was getting pretty bad with, with the, the cartels and whatnot. But, you know, Price and them got there in 06, and Aaron Price, who was the OC, which is one of the sons, obviously, who's now at, at Northern Arizona as well. But um, they used to tell me stories all the time about how they'd go over the border, no issues, no concerns, and just have dinner. Go yeah. shopping, have some drinks, you know, and everything. All of a sudden, in 07, 08, it just turned to a freaking nightmare, you know, and it was like a horror story where there were killings and beheadings and all this bad stuff, man. And so I got there in 08, and it was kind of like I was naive. I didn't know what was going on. And so everyone was saying, oh, God, you, you can't go over there. And everyone was like, hey, let's go to Mexico. You know, we're right there. And they said, no, you're not. You're not going there because if you do, you ain't coming back, boss. You know what I mean? So um, that was really a, a, a sad issue, I guess you could say, because that's just the way it is. And, and um, you know, just, just watching those shows and just seeing all those news stories and stuff like that, it's crazy that it was literally just a mile away from where you were, from where your office was. And, you know, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think, uh, the Sun Bowl is is one of the few countries, if not the only country, that you can actually see another country, um, you know, from its from its stands. So, uh, literally, if you're if you're watching a game, you can see Mexico. It's crazy. It, it's wild. It was it was really eye opening to me. Like you said, you know, like I said, my dad was a GA, I think, in '91 or '92, and and he said the night before they went over across to Mexico and and it was fine and they had fun and came back the next day for the game. Uh, and then w- when we get there, everyone I had I had never heard of of Juarez either, but obviously everyone uh, a part of Houston had, and and were saying how awful it was and and how bad it could be over there and and all these things. But uh, which is you know is crazy. But to me, just to see like you said, it looks like a you know it literally to me looks like a third world country just yeah. on this side of the road or you know on the interstate, and then on yeah. this side of the interstate. Uh, you know, you talk to people around there, one of the safest cities in Texas, they said. You it know, is. so no, it's just it kind is. of a it crazy is. deal. And that was one of the things that we always pumped as recruiting um, because, you know, we, we were in the Conference USA at the point and um, we were getting killed by freaking University of Houston with, with Sumlin and those guys and, and uh, SMU and freaking Rice even was killing us. And, also. Um, the biggest thing that we could pump really was the fact that because every every parent in the state of Texas was like, you are not going to El Paso because Juarez is right there and you are going to die, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so we were literally having to like look up and share actual statistics with our recruits. That's unheard of, man. I mean, I, I'm here at Florida Tech. The stats that I'm sharing are graduation rates, you know, like <laughs> exactly. employment rates, not death <laughs> rates, you know what I'm saying? So we were literally showing recruits' parents that we are, like, voted the safest city in the country per capita, you know, because El Paso is a huge city. It's like 950,000 people. It's huge. And so if you look up the stats based off of per capita, El Paso is one of the safest cities in the country. And so – you know, like I always told recruits and families, like, listen, we got freaking Fort Bliss right behind us. 
you know, which is like the second behind Port Hood over in the Waco area. You know, like we have the second biggest army base in the in the state. Do you really think they're going to come over here, you know, and mess with us? Which I don't know if it was good, better, and different, but seemed to, <laughs> you know, what I mean, seemed to seem to kind of help at least myself, you know, uh, talk to the kids and their parents, but. Uh, but yeah, man, I mean, it was a, a definite obstacle and I'm, I'm sure it still is to this day. You know, I mean, here we are in 2020, I'm sure it's still an obstacle. People, people always look at El Paso as, oh, uh, well, no, that's Mexico, which if you actually went out there, because I had the same, I had the same problem before I went out there when I was in, um, in 07, when I was in uh, Wichita Falls in the Western state and I got hired to, to come out there to El Paso, I had no idea what I was getting into and I, I when I first got there, I hated it. You know, I'm, I'm not going to lie. You, you go to Walmart on a Sunday, and you're the only person that, A, speaks English, and you're the only person that, B, is over six feet tall. You know, and I'm 6'6". Six, six. So I look, I look like a freaking, freaking nature walking around, <laughs> needing, needing, a, uh, needing a, uh, a freaking translator to get, to get some freaking popcorn or whatever, you know? So it was, it was a nightmare. but. Once you spend some time in El Paso, I will never say a bad thing about El Paso. If someone wants to move there, I will say, you know what? That is one of the best cities I've ever lived in my entire life. I love Austin, Texas. That's where I'm from. That's where I grew up. That's my hometown. But El Paso is always my second hometown. I love that place. Yeah, I would imagine, Coach, where you are now, uh, that your your recruiting pitch about um, about where where they'll be staying is a little bit easier for you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, no, <laughs> Melbourne is um, Melbourne, Florida. Florida in itself is just awesome. I, I can't really uh, put it any other way. But uh, you know, we we basically base our recruiting off of Florida, the state of Florida, with with high academic kids, good character kids. We have obviously we have academic restrictions when it comes to Florida Tech, but um, no complaints from me or from any, anyone on the staff, but, um, you know, Florida is a great state to, to live. We live literally two miles from the beach. Um, you, you go there as, may, as much as you want. And, and as far as the location of the school and the town, we are centrally located. It's the perfect, perfect spot. We are three hours south of Jacksonville. We're three hours north of Miami. We're three hours east of Tampa. And we're an hour east of Orlando. I mean, we are right there. We have NASA right up the road. Um, you know, Cocoa Beach, which is obviously one of the biggest uh, vacation spots in, in the state behind Daytona and, and Panama Beach. But um, Melbourne is, is, is a great town, a great place to live. And uh, I wouldn't, uh, you know, after once I move my wife down here, I'll be honest, it's going to be tough to leave. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's right. My my grandma actually used to live uh, live in Melbourne, Florida, um, and and she loved it. And I get to visit her a couple of times, and and um, especially when you care, compare it to Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, it oh was. My goodness, I, yeah. I thought I was in the Bahamas. It was it was, it was unbelievable. <laughs> That's like Cisco Seamville, brother. Yeah, I get it. So, coach, you know, you move out to to Florida Tech, and obviously, you know, go, going from one one recruiting style. Uh, at one place now to a, to a new recruiting style, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, obviously the, the level of talent in Florida, but also maybe a little bit, you know, 
how I always thought it was kind of nice to be, you know, a little bit restricted where you, you'd kind of find those kids who, you know, one, they were going to be really, really strong students. And then two, you know, it seemed like a lot of those kids were self-driven and, and they kind of had a plan for what they wanted to do with their life too. No, no, you're, you're spot on boss. You're, you're spot on. So, you know, the biggest thing is, is the best thing about Florida Tech is that I'm not, trust me, guys, I'm not doing, I'm not doing a recruiting pitch here. The best thing about Florida Tech is we were the only B2 school in the state, which um, provides a private school, you know, education. So we kind of have to narrow our search to those kids. So um, it, it's tough. I'm not going to lie. The recruiting landscape has, has changed so Friggin' much over the last six, seven years. You know, back in those days, back in back in those days, 2013. Back in those days, <laughs> there was only what Warner, Ave, Maria, and um, I think that maybe I mean there was maybe three NEIAs in the state. There was no D2s, and the only Division One AA schools were HBCUs, which were you know Bethune and and uh, FAMU, and then obviously the other big guys. So we had kind of like that niche of where we could kind of attack those smart kids and just, you know, and, and give them where we wanted to. And, and, and we've got those kids. Now, these days, there's Kaiser, there's Memorial, there's, uh, I mean, there, there's just West Florida, obviously, which everyone's heard of. Um, Southeastern, NAIA, which is a great program over in Lakeland. So it's it's one of those deals where we have to just kind of adapt to, to what we're used to. But but what you're saying as far as the kids that we recruit, so we bring in very, very high academic kids, both transfers and both high school students. So the best thing about that is like right now, for example, what we're going through with this whole COVID-19 thing is is everything is online. Everything is is, you know, through Zoom. Everything is is not in person. So right now, like like right now, I have no idea what my guys are doing as you and I, as you, as we speak, you know, so um, it's one of those deals where we have to be, we have to hold those kids accountable and you have no idea what, I mean, you guys were 19, 20, 21 years old and you know what those kind of guys do, you know what I mean, with their spare time. So, and, and especially when you have a big break. Like, just imagine if you were a, a college student on spring break. Oh, was, yeah. That was multiplied by 12. You know what I mean? Like, so I told my brother today, actually, my, my brother Todd, who who's a, uh, an athletic director in Texas for, for uh, Blueville ISD. It was just one of those deals where, like, you know who you are. You, we knew who, you, who we were. And when it, came, when it comes to procrastination, we were experts. And these guys, hopefully, knock on wood, won't do that stuff themselves, but we, we have the type of kids that are very, very high academic. Like you were saying, they are more, they're more goal-driven when it comes to not sun, playing on Sundays, but get, getting their degree, you know, and moving, moving forward. So um, we have so many guys who are just focused on what they want to do post Florida Tech when it comes to not playing football versus, you know, getting into the real world. So that's like, I guess, the benefit uh, of the kids that we have here, or I, I shouldn't say kids, but guys that we have here. Um, but at the same time, we don't have the kind of guys, not too many guys that are saying, okay, coach, I'm going to play on Sunday. You know what I mean? So 
you know, we had one D3 transfer come in last year who is getting some looks, you know, from some, from some scouts, but that's a D3 guy. What do you think his academics are like? <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. he's, he, he's just fine. So, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's one of those deals where you just have to hope and pray, but the guys that we have, man, I mean, we can't complain. There are high academic kids who, who the main thing they worry about is graduating and moving on and, you know, being a member of our society and, and not worrying about playing on Sundays, which is, I guess, a good thing and a bad thing, if you will. Um, we got great kids that are focused, but, you know, as far as their potential on the field, yeah, you know, it is what it is, you know. Right. Athletically, it's, it's a, uh, a little different than a, you know, a, a we're, you know, we're a little like, we're a little Ivy League-ish, if you will. Right. Well, but, but so that's kind of, you know, where I think is cool as, as an offensive line coach, I think probably as a skill coach, it probably, you know, who knows, but I would assume that it's, it's really definitely not as fun for a skill coach. Um, but as an offensive line guy, um, and it all depends, obviously, you know, at, at some point you've got to have the dudes. But as an offensive line coach, it, it it's, makes it so much fun. I've had some smart kids. I've never had five uh, really, really brainiacs. But one year I had about three or four. Uh, and, and all of them weren't, you know, the best athletes. But, man, the, the amount of different things that they could do. And like you said, the the amount of of – procrastination wasn't there it was like they were taking care of their schoolwork. I never had to worry about that they sure. they knew all the schemes uh they were smart enough to help the couple of kids that maybe were really good athletes but didn't understand things as well and and they understood that that was part of what made them so good or so beneficial was them being intelligent and so they used that and they and they ate all of the school part of football up and it was it was a lot of fun to get to add and do more and more with those kids because they were smart enough to do it and, and, and you're well, you're 100 right i mean <clears throat> i almost i almost have guys that are like almost too smart for their own good like they outsmart me sometimes and not when it comes to football but when it comes to you know like i've got a kid that is a 4.0 student and he wants to take you know a couple of classes pass fail because he might get a b in it you know, it's yeah. just like, really, really, dude, you know, I, I graduated with like a 2.2 and here you are going to take a B pass, <laughs> you know what I mean? So those are the kids that we have, but I love my guys and you're right, man. I mean, they're, they're really, really smart now. Now, obviously, as everyone knows, you guys understand that book smarts and football IQ are different animals, you know what I mean? So but I've got some kids who are extremely bright when it comes to football IQ and, and some guys who aren't, but they're full point of students. So, you know, that's the biggest challenge I guess that I have is taking kids that are used to, um, you know, overanalyzing everything, being the smartest guy in the room. And when they show up here, I'm not saying that I put them down or, or tell them they're stupid, but, I just say, hey, listen, that's not what you need to be thinking here, you know, and, and what are you thinking? And you know, this is what you should be thinking. So, you know, as far as like reading safeties, one high, two high, you know, six-man box, five-man box, you know, three-man front, four-man front, uh, you know, 
linebacker locale, who you're working to, who's the mic, you know, all that stuff. And that kind of blows some of these guys' minds. And so that's the biggest challenge, honestly, guys, is, is taking, taking, just imagine, taking the smartest guys that you can get in the state of Florida and teaching, the, teaching, teaching them a whole different language. You know, that's the biggest challenge. Coach, what are you guys kind of doing then, you know, offensively, you know, obviously having, a, you know, higher IQs, is that something where you guys feel like you're able to do a little bit more and expand the package? Or is it something, you know what, we're better at making adjustments, let's keep it super simple, and we're going to check it to, you know, a play or two, and we get really, really good at those things? That's, it's a good question. It's actually year to year, to be honest with you. So, you know, the first couple of years when I had kids that were extremely high IQ, they would literally walk off the field and tell me, Coach Raymond, they gave us a over front with the Mike linebacker in the 30, the Will linebacker was outside the tackle. I mean, they would like give me a play-by-play, you know, of, of I was like, oh, crap, okay. So <laughs> so this is what we need to do as, as far as uh, adjustments concerned. Now, these kids that I have now are much different. They're they are more of, oh, God, there was like 15 defensive linemen. There was 32 linebackers and, you know, and 10 safeties. You know, it's just, okay, all right. So that's like the biggest challenge. Is so, you know, talking to each kid. So once I sit them down on the bench, I literally have to look at one, each kid face-to-face and say, okay, so what did you see? What did you see? What did you see? And so once we figure that out, everyone calms down. I put it on the whiteboard on, on the sideline and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. So, you know. Earlier in 2013, 2014, 2015, when we had kids that were more D1 transfers, um, you know, that were more football guys, uh, you know, that was the easier part as far as, hey, just go out and do what you do. These days, it's with the guys that we have now, which I love them. Don't get me wrong. Um, And they're great players. All of them are. It's more of, hey, I need you to, you know, think about what angle you take and who you need to be looking at, what, you know, Look at the play side, defensive alignment is knee, and, and, and what alignment is the linebacker in, and, and, and that kind of stuff. So um, I think it's kind of gotten – sometimes, sometimes I'll be honest, sometimes I can get a little out of hand as far as what I require my guys to do, but then I keep reminding myself that, you know, there were other guys back in the day that, that could take less and get more done. So my smart guys who have the intellectual capability to – to get it done, just have to trust in themselves. And that's the biggest challenge is to get them to say, hey, you can do this. Just believe in yourself and communicate with your buddy to your left or to your right. And everything's gonna work out just fine. Coach, is that something that you're trying to trying to, to get everyone across the board uh, to, to be higher uh, intellect as far as, as uh, you know, football goes and being able to read safeties or you know, being able to see blitzes and, and different things, or uh, are, do you have certain positions that, you know, look for those things? What, what's your kind of your thought process on that? I know some teams are, are very heavy center oriented. Some are, are, are heavy tackle oriented when they're looking yeah. at, at safeties, you know, and then there's some guys, you know, like I said, that are just teach everybody the same stuff. What's your thought process on that? I, I put a lot of my tackles. And um, my tackles, especially because the last or over the last seven years, we've had really, really good, smart tackles and guys that are able to communicate. So, you know, for example, um, 
you know, we, we play against our, our defense, for example, is a, is a three, four, uh, with the, uh, the four eyes, you know, and, and the VS, which is like a, a pain in the ass for inside zone teams, which is generally what we were. So, um, I put that on them and say, you know, if we're in pass pro, if we're in uh, inside zone or gap team, they have to be able to see what's going on and relay some sort of communication down the line. So whether it be uh, um, either, even if they're lined up in a three-man front, say, hey, we're in four down. Uh, telling the backside guard what to do, telling the playside guard what to do. Um, if we're an empty pass pro, which is like our empty, you know, 50s protection, you know, Say okay, we make a we make a Roger call, which is everyone sliding to the right. Well, at the last second, if the left tackle sees that safety rotation is coming down towards him, he makes lucky, lucky, lucky. You know, so that's on them now. That's probably the hardest thing that we do is put the put that stuff on those guys um, to make those calls. Um, but yes, to answer your question, um, I don't put the recognition on the centers. I put what I put on the centers is this. Recognize the front, find the mic, and make your calls. And then I put on the tackles. I say, you have to make the adjustments. So once the center makes the calls, it's under your, you know, your power to say, okay, that's not the right call. We have to make this adjustment, and then we go forward from there. How many, how many fronts are, are you teaching the center? I mean, is it even odd or is it like, you know, six, seven different? Do you teach him all the fronts that, that you think of when you think of fronts? And then uh, I, I guess the second easiest, easy question is, is he finding the, the true mic of the defense or is he finding the mic as it pertains to that play? Okay, well, first of all, he always finds the mic of the play. So if we're in pass pro – um, he'll find the mic of the play, but it's all based on, so the first thing we do is find the front. Are we in three down or are we in four down? So depending on the play, so if we're in a run play, um, to us, the mic is always the play side inside linebacker. Or I guess you could say the level two defender who is the most threat, if that makes sense. So if there's a, a linebacker or a strong safety or whatever that's, that's outside the box and he's a box defender, you know, we'll mic him unless there's a tight end in the game. So um, we'll mic the play side inside linebacker on a run play. And on pass pro, we'll always identify the front and then find on a four-man front, find the true mic and then work and then slide towards him, putting the man side on the other side. On a three-man front, we'll find either a, a true mic, a sack, or uh, a, a, not a true mic, which is like it's just odd or oaky. Um, and then just do our dual read. So um, I put more on the center as far as the front and the mic. And then once it comes to the kind of like once that's done, then we make our uh, adjustments based off what the tackles and guards see. So uh, obviously we don't want you to give all of your, your, your uh, uh, you know, pass pro secrets out there. But <laughs> yeah. are, are, are you guys generally more uh, when, when you do um, – dual read are you guys generally more inside to outside linebacker dual read yes, or are you guys outside to inside inside outside yes sir inside outside so basically you know and, and we have both kick slide and vertical sets so based off of certain formations of the offense and based off of certain calls um we will i'll tell the kids to either kick slide or they'll literally vertical set like an air raid defense or air raid offense which is you know, lose your inside foot and, and just backpedal four steps and then re-establish the line of scrimmage. So, um, 
yeah, we'll literally do both. We'll we'll um we'll base off of the front, off the defense, and and, and then go from there. I was as much as you know, we had certain years where we were asked to um, you know, truly vertical set and and the years that we did that all the time. I, I wasn't a big fan, I think, because I just wasn't good at it or uh, I got beat a bunch or, or whatever it was. Uh, but when we were dual reading, it seems like as a tackle, you almost have to have that type of a set because if, you're, you're if your linebacker yes. goes, you're screwed. So you almost you're have screwed. to do that. Yes, yeah, you're screwed. It, it's the worst deal. It's the worst job for a tackle because he has to kind of be cross-eyed in, in a way. So, you know, he has to have his outside eye on the inside linebacker and his inside eye on the outside linebacker, you know. So – uh, you literally just have to backpedal as fast as you can. But the biggest thing is, is just tell the center, you have to lose ground to help those guys out. If the center can lose ground, then the guard can lose ground. Therefore, the tackle can lose ground. Because you always have to tell the guy, you have to base your set off of the inside guy. So, center, lose ground, man. Backpedal. Get to, get to two, two and a half yards. Guard. Keep that center in your inside eye and lose ground. Tackle, same thing. Lose ground, keep the guy in your inside eye, and be able to adapt because if you can all be on the same level, obviously, that's the best-case scenario, obviously, then everything's going to work out. The, the, the tackle has nothing to worry about. He doesn't have, have to read crap. He can just see what happens in front of his face as he loses ground. But honestly, in my opinion – when I, you know, when I went to Tarleton in the spring of 2012, um, and Lee Hayes was the, the OC there, and he left. He was the guy at Baylor and, and whatnot. Yeah, I, I played for Lee uh, my freshman and sophomore year at Houston. Oh, okay, right on. Okay, okay, right on. So, so yeah, so Lee was at Tarleton in, I think, the fall of 11. And then I can't remember where he went, but uh, in between 11 and 12, he, he went. Left. He went Houston, and then he went uh, Texas Tech. Okay, right on. Yeah, yeah. Okay, perfect. And so when I went to Tarleton, um, those offensive guys stayed, and so they were. And the head coach was like, you know, we are keeping this system. And so I've never done that before. I've never done the vertical set air raid system. So I was like, right, whatever, you know, I'll, I'll listen to whatever you guys have to tell me. And the OC at the time was was Justin Kerrigan, who is still my one of my best friends, who's the the head coach at um, uh, Texas Permian Basin. And, and he was just like, you just had to reestablish the line of scrimmage at three yards. And I was like, uh, okay, no, I get that. I, but how? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like how? So I watched a ton of Lee Hayes film, you know, from Texas Tech and Houston and all that stuff. So, um, you know, we, we just, you literally have to drop your inside foot, one, two, three, four, and reestablish and just anchor. And that's the hardest part for kids is that on and then that's one thing I focus on was that once you put that third foot in the ground one two so a quick one two so as you backpedal quick one two but as that third step is the ground you have to anchor and you have to drop your ass and get ready to go to war because obviously the number one issue with with that vertical set is bull rush right so you have to just say one, two, and as soon as that one, two hits the ground, you have to drop that three and drop your ass and get ready to go to work. So, you know, you can see videos of, of where they have that bull in a ring um, drill and all that stuff. So uh, that was the biggest issue was, was one, two, three, four and dropping that butt. So that's what we work on. We literally work on two things. And 
some old line coaches are going to be out there going, oh my God, this guy's crazy. So we literally do both in individual drills. We work on vertical sets, one, two, three, four vertical sets, and then just kick slides. And we just focus on the intricacies of each uh, set and how to focus on, you know, on, on, on how to work on each one. So, but the biggest thing is if you're in a man's set, we don't do vertical sets. So if you're in a man's side, you're a kick slide guy. And then we work on, you know, locale as far as, is he tight, is he loose? Are shoulders north and south? Are they at 45, you know, inside foot back, outside foot back? All that good stuff so um but the most part is we, we yeah we focus on both and just work on both as much as we can well when i was doing it coach i it's interesting you say that we hadn't the the two years before we had always been kick slide and then and then he got there and, and kind of taught us the vertical set but the way that i had to process it um i thought of it as a mix of the two anyways i i didn't think of it as a continue back pedal drop to me it was like you said one two and then as soon as my third step which would be my inside foot again hit right. the ground I turned it into now it's a kick set now you're so in I a kick try to get my posture. three yes yeah exactly. now it's just a normal kick set but all I did was like you said reset the line of scrimmage and now I've started my kick set and and to me uh, that was the easiest way to process it and have a chance of sitting it down now that year that we did it it was every single snap and I think that made it extremely difficult by the end of the year we had some short set you know where it was only take one take one big drop and get into your kick set but um it definitely when we were dual reading uh it, it was hugely beneficial for us and and at that point with a four or a four i uh, I was never so nervous that I was going to get a big bull rush from a four or four I, I felt pretty good about that what always made me nervous was that five because it always seemed like you know they had a I don't know what it was an angle or an a little yeah, more running edge room or what? yeah he, he gets your edge yeah yeah and that's always the scariest thing for an old lineman and that's why everyone wants to open up I mean that's why old linemen, old linemen love to open up their hips because they're so scared to get edged so the natural thing to do is to open your hips and open your shoulders you know and and create a soft edge, you know, and that's the most frustrating part as an O-line coach, you know, because they're just relaxed, just relax and set back and lose ground and everything is going to be just fine as long as you use your technique and just be patient. And that, that, that's exactly what you're saying. Just be patient, you know. Coach, knowing that you guys are going to have to put, you know, that much time into, you know, pass protections and, and teaching a couple of, you know, pretty big concepts, I would imagine, you know, does that kind of limit then what you guys do in the run game, or do you still kind of find yourself being able to, you know, do do quite a bit in the run game? You know, being the the run game coordinator as well. Well, no, yeah, no, no. Um, we we definitely put a strong emphasis on on the run game, and our head coach does Stephen Lahart does a great job of letting us as offensive staff um, get plenty of time, and and even my OC Jason Martin does a great job of letting me get my own individual time to work on stuff, but literally it is, you have to work on both because, you know, I, our pass pro is hard. Um, we are in, we're, we're the type of offense that does, you know, three or four plays out of, you know, 15 different personnels and formations, you know, so that's the biggest obstacle for us as, a, as an offensive line is to know what we're in, where we are, you know, that kind of deal. So, but at the same time, 
we have to run the football. And that's my thing is, you know, when I first started out with, with Midwestern State back in 07, we were inside run. And I, I'm an inside run guy. I mean, that was – that's my thing. And then um, over the last couple of years, you know, we just, we just put more and more time and more effort into running gap scheme. And, you know, last summer uh, we wanted to really put a focus in on gap scheme and, and, and just running counter and power and what we call Bob, which is one back Bob or one back power versus two back power. So we have all those different calls. And so, um, our, you know, it, it's an obstacle. It's tough. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things where I want to run the football, but at the same time, I have to protect my quarterback. So um, it's all about getting the O-line on the same page with the running backs and the quarterback and uh, pass pro. But then, you know, in 15, 25 minutes of the first part of practice, we're working on the sled and, and combos and, 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 and that kind of stuff, getting ready for a run game because we have to be able to run the football. To, and that's what I believe. And I, and I think our staff is – heavy run we have to run the football when it comes to either zone read when it comes to you know our swap read stuff which is where our you know our quarterback and running back um you know change responsibilities uh and then when it comes to to our gap scheme stuff and i think our gap scheme really last year really really improved because of our mentality as a staff and as a uh, as, as a as a whole as an offense is that something you feel like, too, you know, helps you out a little bit as, as well? Obviously, in the situations where you know you have to run the ball, I knew, you know, when I've been in spread systems and, and you know, had to do a lot of different things, it was always kind of like, well, hey, what are you going to do? And now you kind of add that gap component and you, you start to teach those things and it becomes that mentality. Could you kind of feel that, too, a little bit with your offensive line and see, you know, improvement maybe in some of the short yardage, red areas, things like that? Oh, God, yes, yes. and and. Being specific, it was my left guard who was a senior last year. I mean, he, um, you know, if he was 6'3", 6'4", he would be at Alabama. But he was like 5'9", 5'10". 5'10", max on two phone books. You know, but the dude could bench press a house. And he was not just by his, his physical limitations, he was not really a zone guy, but then we put so much emphasis into a gap scheme last year that he really excelled. I mean, he was, he had the great ability of just skip pulling, square pulling, whatever you want to call it, getting around the center and play side guard or play side tackle and just cramming it up in there. And that's where he, like with him and his ability to do so, we, we came up with that like cram hashtag cram it, you know, um, kind of mentality last year with with our tight ends coach last year Ronnie Fouch man um he's now at Missouri State but um you know we were just like let's cram it up in there and he was perfect at it I mean he was so good at it that he actually would kind of disregard the calls from the play side so he was actually trapping guys trapping color that he should have been trapping if that makes sense so like he was getting you're getting double teams play side tackle and tight end like a trade block and he was trying to trap the five or the or the four eye, whatever it was. But it's like, dude, you have to get around that because you're kind of fighting against the tight end because he's working this way, you're working that way. So, but he was really good at at um, at cramming up in there. But and then his pass pro was limited because he was so short. And he was a T Rex, you know. I mean, he could 
like I always say, he could barely tuck his own shirt in, you know? So um, it, it's one of those things where you just, we just had to, we just had to kind of get with what we had um, and, and, and focus on that and just perfect that. But we put so much emphasis in the GAT team, man. It was, it was a good thing for us. I know we didn't win as many games as we wanted to last year, but I really feel as a running football team, um, we made strides, you know, and, and um, because we were, we were back in those, in the old days, 2013, 14, 15, we were the number one offense in the, in the conference, you know, and, and uh, recently just with, with personnel and, and whatnot, we just have kind of slacked a little bit. And so this last year, I thought we were just, we were just a lot better because of our focus on moving people both laterally and vertically uh, in GAT scheme. And we had the personnel who had a good feel for it. I think that's, I think that's a big thing. Is you have to have guards who have, who have a good feel, you know, for where they're supposed to fit and, you know, how they're supposed to execute uh, their blocks. So. Well, coach, this is, this is a, a little off topic, but, but just thinking about the times that, that I knew people, I knew one guy that, that he came and it never made sense to me. He came from uh, Dade County and he came to Houston, but he was like a, a 19 or 20 year old freshman because somehow in Florida, but I never asked him how it all worked out, but somehow in Florida, I believe it was like a, um, a prep school. Can, can okay. do you know what's going on? I, I don't know if prep schools here in Oklahoma, I had never heard of it at the time. And like I said, I had never asked them what are our prep schools. Is it still high school? Is it college? What is And maybe, maybe it's not even a thing anymore. It was, six seven years ago is that a thing that's only in florida is that something that still goes on those prep schools before college but kind of after high school uh here okay so so the best way that i can explain it because i obviously i'm from texas i went to high school in texas played cosmo in texas so um texas and florida are the complete opposites first and foremost okay so public schools in um, Texas, Westlake, Lake Travis, um, you know, those big bad boys are, are, mm -hmm. you know, the cream of the crop here in Florida. It's all about private schools. Now I wouldn't say prep schools. Now you have, like, for, okay. For example, <clears throat> the left guard that I was just talking about. Okay. The kid that, um, was a senior last year, he went to North Broward prep, but that was a high school. Okay. So really the only prep schools that you think of are the ones like Palmetto Prep and, um, you know, the other big ones. And here in Florida, no, it's, it's if, if it's called in Florida, if it's called a prep school, I'm not going to say I'm guaranteeing it, but more than likely, it's just a private school. So, like, it's kind of like IMG. If you heard, you've heard of that, right? So, right, yeah. Um, the IMG Academy is, is kind of – a prep school, if you will. Um, you have, um, you know, like here in Melbourne, you have uh, Melbourne Central Catholic. You have Holy Trinity. You have all these prep schools, but no, they're technically they're they're private high schools, and so that's where the players are for the most part, um, or where the money is, if, you, if that makes sense. Because in Texas, obviously, you guys know that um, public schools, the head coaches are getting paid. Uh, a small fortune and here you know for a public school in florida the head coaches are getting paid maybe five grand 
you know, for their stipend mm-hmm. and everything else based, is based off of uh, if they teach whatever. So um, that's the biggest obstacle that we have. You know, I, I'm not trying to get onto a, a soapbox uh, or anything or, or off topic, but, you know, um, being from Texas, my brother is in Texas. He makes a lot of money as a super, as a, uh, um, athletic director, you know, and, and here in Florida, we have, um, just as much talent, if not more than the state of Texas, but the coaching suffers because of the lack of pay and the coaches that I know, cause I recruit the West side, I recruit the Gulf side, uh, Gulf coast side of Florida. So Tampa, uh, Pinellas County, which is, um, you know, uh, St. Petersburg and all the way down to, to Fort Myers, we've got more than qualified coaches in this state. And every single high school coach that I talk to um, is more than qualified to, to coach high school ball anywhere in the country. I mean, they're smart. They're smart guys. They know their stuff. They work their asses off. And they have families just like you and me. So, um, you know, the biggest thing with prep schools, it, it's all about private schools here in Florida. Uh, and and I don't know if you guys know, but the recruiting here in Florida for high schools is freaking ridiculous. It's, it's open enrollment, basically. So you can literally play football. One, you can play football this fall semester at one school and then transfer and play basketball at a different school the next spring, Jeez. the following spring. Yeah, yeah. Pick your jaws up off the floor. Exactly. So, <laughs> you know, that's unheard of. That's unheard of to, to play football this fall for – ABC school and then transfer in the mid-year and play basketball for XYZ. And that's just the way we are here in Florida. So, you know, uh, it is what it is, boys. Um, but we've got talent. We've got great kids. We've got great coaches. It's just, it's a whole story altogether. I'm not getting on soapbox or anything. No, <laughs> it's a mess. And, and, and honestly, coach, we've heard it from, we've had several Florida high school coaches on and and it, it they say the exact same thing you do I mean you're 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 exactly you know you're not on a soapbox I don't think at all that all these guys say the same thing I mean it's you know they've got huge unbelievable talent there but um you know and, and I've you know, I've got family that live in Florida and, and have driven through and and you see these teams that to me are, are like you know they've got six seven division one kids and they're playing that you know to me like a a stadium that that looks like a you know a two a three a Oklahoma stadium you know and this right. is a big huge school with that's you know multi time state champions and it's just kind of a crazy and then and then we get to talk to their coaches and and their coaches don't make hardly anything from from the time they're putting in and then there's a lot of guys because of that that are you know they're not able to be teachers and coaches because they wouldn't make enough and so you know now they're not able necessarily to be around their kids all day and and it's just kind of a it really really stinks uh, because there are some states out there and like you said the coaches we've talked to are just as good as as all the texas coaches that we've talked to yeah as anybody anybody, i mean as anybody man it's just it's just it is what it is you know and uh we just got to move forward and because everyone here is of the saint thomas aquinas and everyone here is of the american harris plantation you know, and, and, and those guys, it's just, they're just private schools, you know, they recruit, but they're not the only ones, you know, like you literally, that's one of the hardest things about recruiting 
in the state of Florida is that you have no idea where those kids are from day to day. They literally have to, uh, I'm sure you guys have seen this on, I don't know if you have on Twitter or whatever, but they're literally posting like, okay, so you've seen the, you know, hashtag blessed, um, Mm -hmm. you know, receive an offer, you know, from from so-and-so. They're literally putting out in Florida, hashtag, um, I will be taking my talents to, you know, XYZ high school next year. Uh, God bless, you know, all this stuff. And just like, wait, what? Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like, dude, um, when I was in high school, you know, like that, that wasn't that long ago. It was like 25 years ago. Like, it was unheard of. Like, from going from like Calhoun High School in Austin to Anderson, I mean, that was, that was, you're going to get shot. <laughs> you know, I mean, that, that's just the kind of thing. Up, no you, just, you just don't do that, you know? So yeah, it is what it is, man. I'm not, but, coach, what whatever, about, uh, what about like you know the the seven on seven and the the handlers that you hear about in Florida and the trainers, you know how much of that do you have to deal with as a college guy, or is it something that you're like man you know I'm I'm glad I don't have to deal with it I still deal with the high school coaches, I know I, I hear from a lot of guys in Florida and, and that's also one of the the gripes that they have with you know the the X number of quote experts out there that are you know obviously trying to make a little bit of money but you know, at the same time, might not always have the best interest for some kids out there too. You definitely have to filter. You definitely have to know who you're talking to. Yeah, no, that, that's no BS. Um, you definitely have to trust who you're talking to. You definitely have to find out, you know, what's going on. So like, for example, uh, last summer, I was contacted by, you know, some, some person um, about his nephew who wanted to transfer, you know, and so when it comes to a division one transfer, well, then obviously as a division two coach, you have to do your due diligence. You know what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. um, cause you know, getting a division one transfer to go D two is like finding gold. Um, but when it comes to high school kids, no, no, we, 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 if it's not a high school coach and we're looking to find out about more about a high school kid, I don't give two craps about what anybody else says. It's I'm going to talk to the coach first. And then if he need, if he wants to direct me towards, you know, a parent or, or counselor or whatever, then that's fine. But if Joe Schmo says, hey, Coach Raymond, you know, I got this kid who's at, you know, Clearwater High School that, that is interested in Florida Tech, you know, well, no, no, I, I don't know who you are. I'm not going to talk to you. I mean, I, mean, I just disregard that email. Uh, it happens all the time. It, it, here in Florida, it happens all the time. You get, you get, um, approached by people all the time who think they know more than you know they have more interest in themselves and the kid um and that's the biggest issue is parents no offense to parents because you know i'm a parent uh mine's only one year old so <laughs> we'll see 16 <laughs> years he got a while now he got we'll a while see. for the recruiting process yeah 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 uh but parents really just don't they're willing to i mean they're willing to hear whatever they they're they're willing to hear whatever they want to hear if that makes sense and i'm sure that's the cliche but um parents here in florida they want to hear what they want to hear and they don't want to hear the reality and um and I, i'm not saying all parents um because if you go to schools like like take chris harvey for example who's the head coach over at uh, clearwater Central Catholic, you know, 
the dude does an amazing job. And the, the, those parents go through him because they trust him. And therefore, college coaches trust him. But if you go to a different school where, you know, there's a different head coach every other year, what do you expect? You know, go, go to a high school where they have a different head coach every year, then those parents are like, well, <laughs> this guy doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. I'm going to go directly to the, to the college guy and send emails. I mean, I just got the phone two hours ago with, with a parent, you know, like, you know, my kid's worthy of a scholarship. Uh, does he have a film? No. Uh, okay. Uh, well, I can't do a whole lot for you. you <laughs> makes, know it, I mean? makes it tough. I mean, it makes it really tough, you know? So, and that's kind of where we are as division two coaches is, is just like, listen, you know, I understand. I understand we're D2, you know, and some high school coaches here in Florida and all across the country are like that. Hey, I got a kid that's, that, could, that could play at your level. You know, nothing really pisses you off more. As a D2 coach, hey, I got a kid that can play at your level. You know, so what are you saying? He's terrible? I mean, what are you saying? I mean, I know we're D2. <laughs> well, you know what I mean, you know I mean? Oh, yeah. There's uh, yeah. I got an old lineman who's 5'9", was... 200. I got an old lineman who's 5'9", 210. Dude, okay. It, it was the worst. Coach, I mean, you go you go to some of those places, and, and like you said, I mean, they, they sit you down with, you know, 10 kids. And you're like, there's not, there's not one kid because I was at Augustana and you know, same kind of boat, D two. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah no, same boat. Yeah, academic standards, and you're like, one, this guy's got a one eight GPA, you know, and then two, like, <laughs> coach, coach, how did this guy, this guy didn't even start for you? I mean, I had guys that they give you like backups. I'm like, what, yeah. really? Are you kidding yeah. me? That's amazing. It's amazing, and it's really frustrating, but it's a reality situation. You know, you just have to, you just have to. And it's, it's kind of one of those deals like literally guys, if you work D2 for this long, and there's guys out there, there's coaches out there that have worked D2 a lot longer than I have. But once you work D2 for so long, you just kind of, you just kind of get it. You just kind of like, all right, well, you just kind of, kind of deal with it. You know what I mean? You're, you're kind of like, you're a, you're a, a half D2, half D3 coach when it comes to recruiting. You have to find guys, obviously, that you can offer a scholarship to, but then you have to get get kids that can walk on, you know, but you gotta find the best. So what's the fine line? Is the fine line a, a kid that, you know, that can earn a scholarship athletically, or is he just good enough to get an academic scholarship? So, um, you know, that's where the fine line built, uh, fits in. And I, I, that's probably the hardest part of our job when it comes to recruiting is just you, I'm sorry, little PD, but you know, it is it is what it is. You can come in, you can earn it. Um, but at the end of the day, you're gonna have to be a walk on, you're gonna have to figure out how to pay for this thing for a, a couple of years. Right. And 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 you know, that's that's how it goes and, and like you know, at every level, right? I mean, um, so it it's um it it, it the cool part though is I think that you get to see the kids that, that really do love football, uh, the ones that stick it out, you know, um, and they love and want to play football. And, and we've sent some, um, some unbelievable to me steals, uh, that the division two schools, uh, 100%, in, this, in this area, 100%, have gotten. 100%. you know, it, that, that, you know, me and walls are sitting there like, 
we, you know, we're, we're there and, and I'm, you know, I don't want to bag on, on Tulsa. They're just in the area, but they're, you know, right next door. And, and we're like, does it make any sense why Tulsa didn't take this kid? You know, and, and then he goes yeah. to a division two school in the area and, and blows up for, and starts, you know, as a true <laughs> freshman for him. And, yeah. and we're like, man, that just doesn't make any sense. And, and, but, you know, to me, the cool thing for those kids is they'd go in and walk on at, at a Tulsa or a D1 school, but now they're getting all their school paid for at a Division two, and they're the man. Sure. I will tell you, I will tell you, whenever, as a GA, whenever we went to Tulsa, it was like going to the Todd Mahal from, from UTEP. You know what I mean? I mean, oh, my <laughs> oh, God. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, dude. That place is like, I mean, you want to talk about an immaculate, like, press box and how they had everything lined up for us. Oh my goodness gracious. And the University of Houston back before they had a new, a new uh, stadium slash yeah, back when it was Robertson box. stadium. Oh my God. The old one was terrible. You had a, <laughs> if you're in the press box as a visitor, I don't, I don't know about home team, but at Houston back in those days, you had to literally stand up if you wanted to see the near sideline, mm-hmm. you couldn't sit in your seat. <laughs> Because there was like an awning out in front of us. So basically the near hash to the near sideline was covered in awning. So you had to literally stand up. Like, oh, I think it's first and two. I, mean, I, I don't know where it is. Coach. <laughs> you know, oh, it was a nightmare. But Tulsa, man, we always loved this GA because I went there, I think, twice, like 08 and, and, and 10. And the place was phenomenal. The, the snacks they had for us as GAs up there. Oh, my gosh. My – that's so funny. Yeah, that's uh, you know, Walls actually was a GA there at Tulsa. Probably, probably in t- was it ten Walls or nine? It'd have been, it'd have been eleven. Yeah, it'd oh, have 11. been the year your you. coach okay. was over at Highlands. But but it was the same way. You know, I, I get to play at Houston, and and uh, it was a it was a, and I think they've really come up since now. And the university has put a ton of money in the new stadium and new basketball arena. But the time I was there, it was still. It was still a, a grimy, a grimy place. Uh, it was, from from yeah, where the university tough. is, and all I could think of is, yeah, is yeah. the buses that guys had to take through that area, and uh, they weren't used to it. I always loved that idea, but well, good um, old, it was good old downtown Houston, man, you can't beat it, man. The Fifth Ward, you know, you can't beat it. It's, <laughs> fifth it's, Ward to the Third Ward. It's um, it's about, it's, it's about as real as it gets. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it definitely is. Uh, but it was it was funny. So my my only funny story about UTEP. So the two of them were we go to UTEP. The first one was you kind of saw this like hole in the visiting locker room, just a little one. And everyone told us that it was a, a bullet hole that was shot from over on the on the Mexico side. So I don't know whether that's true or not. But I, I don't know. I, you know, I'll be honest with you. I've never I, I I never went in in the three years that I was there. Gosh darn it! I never went into the visitor locker room. <laughs> um, because it was underneath the uh, little where it said El Paso and all that stuff, you know, mm-hmm. miners and stuff like that. I never, uh, because, you know, so the locker room, the actual locker room is up underneath, like in the mountains behind the where the offices are. Mm-hmm. And so back in those days, we used to walk through the stands, you know, through the, through, which through was the, cool. I thought that was really cool. Oh, God, that was Mike Price thing. I mean, that was, that was, that was Coach Price. No, no, no. Let me get on my soapbox real quick. So, no, I'm all over the place, boys. I know you're short time. So, Mike Price. All right. So, everyone, everyone who knows the story of Mike Price with, with Alabama, um, I have to say this on record that 
my price is the most genuine, uh, loving uh, person that you'll ever meet in your entire life. Um, he's, he's, he's human. You know, he's made mistakes, uh, as we all have. And um, the man, I owe that man everything in my entire life, my entire career, because he is picture, picture your grandfather or your favorite grandfather and multiply that by 100 because Coach Price was just the most genuine, nice person they've ever met in their entire life. And he would, he would, he would obviously want to find out as a GA, hey, what did you do last night? You know, and 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 that's that's just him. He's he's a he's a dirty old grandpa. You know what I mean? <laughs> and he he had issues. He made mistakes, but the man does. The man did not deserve what he got. You know, when, when it came to the Alabama thing. Um, he actually literally uh, said, "Hey, Chad, let's let's go take this birthday cake, you know, to this to this booster, you know, downtown." So so I drove his car, you know, with him in it, you know, and I felt like a a guy being uh, freaking hitman or something like that. I had, to, I had to drive his car and all that stuff. It was pretty weird, but um, he explained the whole story to me, and I'm not going to get into it, but it was just. Like the whole Alabama thing was just so crazy with how he explained to me. And I know you can be impressionable as a GA and whatnot, but um, the man's the real deal. And if anyone has anything different to say about him, I'd love to talk to them in person. So um, I love that man and, and I owe him everything. So. Well, Coach, we, we, we appreciate you, uh, you know, taking, taking the time to, to talk some football with us. But before we do cut you loose, uh, the thing that I always like to ask guys is when you're watching another team's offensive line, what's some things they'd be doing that would make you think highly of their offensive line coach? Oh, wow. Um, I guess the biggest thing that comes across to me, uh, the way I teach my kids, um, is to be gap sound. Um, every deep, you have to assume that every defense is coached to be gap sound, correct? I mean, that's an assumption as an offensive line coach. So, right. someone, someone has to be accountable for for each gap. So, who has that gap? When, when I say who, I mean who. What offensive lineman, tight end, running back? Who has that gap? Who has that responsibility? So, that'd be the pilot number one thing because that's, that's why I take pride on is the first thing that that my OC always says. Is I want to do this. But the first thing that comes into my mind is, okay, well, who has this gap? So I guess that's the number one thing. Secondly, um, just freaking physicality. You know, like I've seen great offensive lines in our conference. I mean, our conference is, is the best in Division Two. There's no, no, there's no doubt about it. Gulf South is the best when it comes to talent. Um, you know, Valdosta, uh, West Owl those guys wear our asses out. And the biggest thing that you notice on film that I love is just the physicality, just those kids that are just taught to be physical. And that's the one thing that I always want to ingrain in my kids' minds is just wear their asses out. Yes, you're going to get beat. We're going to, we're going to lose a ton of time. But at the end of the day, after 85 plays or 75 plays of offense, if you can be physical on those defensive linemen, we're going to move the football. So that's what I would say is is gap sound and physicality. 
Coach, man, it's been an absolute blast. You know, pr- appreciate you being honest and having some some cool, you know, conversations about things, you know, that, you know, might, might not always be the, the most fun to talk about, but, you know, appreciate you, you know, bringing some of that stuff up because I know a lot of our listeners and a lot of our, you know, high school coaches, they're, they're having to deal with a lot of the, the same issues and things that we're doing now. So that's, yeah, that's cool. I, mean, I was really, um, I was, I'm not going to lie to you, man. I've been thinking about this thing, this interview thing for, for well over a month. And I had this, this talk go, you know, through my head a hundred, hundred different, a hundred times. And tonight did not go anywhere where I thought it was going to go. So, you know, it is what it is, man. I appreciate you guys. You guys are doing a heck of a job. I listen to your stuff all the time. Um, I appreciate what you're doing for the, for the game and for the profession. And, uh, you know, God bless you guys and, and stay safe. And, um, you know, I will say this, what we're going through right now is a tough time. Um, we don't, there's uncertainty of the fall season. Obviously there is, but, you know, the one thing I've learned over the last, what, six weeks is that the number one thing that's more important to me is family. I know it's a cliche, um, but I have a one-year-old daughter and, you know, mm-hmm. I couldn't, I couldn't ask for, for a better time hanging out with her every single freaking day, seeing different, you know, ways she acts and different intricacies of, of her character and that I wouldn't get to have if I was in spring ball or recruiting or whatever I'm, I should be doing right now. You know what I mean? So I appreciate you guys and, um, you know, God bless and, and, and the best of luck to you. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again, thank all of our sponsors. You guys make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about run the power. And if you enjoy running the power, go get your shirt, long sleeve or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.